Amen. Love speaks in many languages and love sings in many languages. We are a people who love trends and pop culture. Back in the 70s, there was a trend that swept through the nation, and it was summarized by the phrase, have a nice day. It was this smile face that you saw just about everywhere you went. You saw it on t-shirts. You saw it on school lunchboxes. Have a fantastic day. Everything's fine. This smile could not be missed. It was a rather harmless trend. If you were in a bad mood, you'd see the face, and you couldn't help but smile a little bit. The only thing is that that trend passed, except for in many churches. In a sense, that smile face has become the summary of some people's faith. Have a nice day. We come to church looking good and smelling good, and we expect to come here not only feeling good, but feeling better when we leave. And sometimes that in itself becomes the measure of whether it was a good worship service or not. Was I feeling better when I left than when I came? It's easy to get into that kind of mindset. And there are many churches where that really becomes the very focus of what's being offered. Think the right thoughts, and you will have the life you've always dreamed of. Pray the right prayers and your prayers will be answered. Do the right thing and everything is going to work out. Honk if you love Jesus. You'll have a better day for it. That's all well and good. Except what if you do all the right things and it's not quite working out? And you find yourself having to plaster a smile on your face and create some kind of a fake and false image just to show up at church. If you're not feeling so good, there must be something wrong with you. If things aren't working out in your life, you must not have believed the right things. If you find yourself going backwards, then you must not be moving forward in your faith. And we turn all that stuff inward. Have a nice day. Smile. And yet, what if you do all the right things? What if you're one of those who early on in your life did some really good, realistic financial planning? You stuck to a budget. Later, when you had money to invest, you made sure that they were responsible investments. In fact, investments that perhaps helped support people in the two-thirds world. You found yourself giving to others all the while moving in a way that you thought was going to set you up for retirement. And when you got to retirement, you'd even be able to give. You'd planned it. You'd worked it. And then along comes Bernie Madoff. Perhaps you pronounce his name made off because he made off with your money. <laughs> or maybe you could pronounce his name mad off because he's got you really mad. But what about those people today who planned their entire lives and did all the right things and are now, now trying to figure out how they're going to keep it together for the rest of their lives? 
Or maybe you are one of those who has a juicer on your counter. And every morning you get up and in go the carrots and in goes the zucchini and in goes the broccoli and the parsley and you make this gruesome looking drink. But you love it because it's going to make you vital and healthy. It's going to give you energy for the entire day. It's going to keep you refreshed. You make all the right health choices and all the right nutritional decisions. And then you get the diagnosis. Cancer. You did all the right things. And yet you got sick. Where's that smile face now? And where is God? Where is God when you drink that nasty juice every morning and get cancer and you live next door to someone who's 100 years old and eats a pound of bacon every morning and eggs (laughs) and says, that's my secret to long life, bacon and eggs every morning, (laughs) washing it down with a six-pack of beer and three packs of cigarettes, woo! Where is God when all the things we've been taught just don't work? What kind of God is it anyway that would fill us with all this abundance? Where in other parts of the world, even today on World Communion Sunday, there are people lined up for what little bit of food there is. There's enough food to go around, but it ends up in one place, and others in other places don't have enough. So where is God? in that we've been taught pray the right prayers it'll work out think the right things it will work out do the right thing it will all work out and it's not a new belief back in the early Hebrew scriptures in fact there's a book of the Bible where that's the basic theme of the entire book of the Bible the book of Deuteronomy basically teaches this obey God and you will be blessed disobey God and you will be cursed So the natural question was, well, what does it mean to obey God? And so in Deuteronomy, they came up with long lists of what it meant to obey God. And many of the people dutifully went around doing what they thought it meant to obey God. If someone was going through problems in their life, there was an easy answer. They're disobeying God. They must have done something wrong. That's why they're cursed. If their life is not working out, they need to get right with God. Now, even then, the people began to question this theology. There were people who said, I have done everything on the list. I have gone to temple, not just once a day, but three times a day. I have bowed. I have prayed. I have not contradicted one thing on the list. I've eaten right. I go to bed early, get up early. Why is it not working out? And those early teachers begin to hear these voices of people who had done all the right things yet were still having this struggle. And they also saw the examples of those people who were out there just living it wild and doing all these things that contradicted the law and doing just fine. And so a story began to develop very early in the Hebrew faith. It was the story of this one named Job, one who had integrity and lived with faithfulness before God. The rabbis began to add to the story through hundreds of years, and the story developed, and they began to bring in some of the pieces that we hear when we live that story. They brought in the well-meaning but misguided friends. 
the friends who said to Job, you know, it may look like you're doing all the right things, but there must be somewhere you're missing it. So try to get it right. Try to get it right and it will work out. The story developed through the years because the rabbis were trying to find a way to make meaning out of suffering. And so Job becomes that story of all those who have sought to do the right thing but have found their life shaken. What we find here is a faith that ultimately can withstand the challenges and the setbacks that we experience in life. It's a faith that's real. It's a faith beyond the smile faith. It is a faith that can be shaken and yet find integrity. When life starts to pull us apart and we're struggling to keep it together, Job shows us that there is a place where we have a God who can take our tough questions. What is integrity? Integrity is living from the inside in a way that makes us strong on the outside. It is a way of living that helps us to stand firm even when we are shaken in ways that we never expected. Job points us to a complex faith, a true faith, that's strong enough for complex times. I'd like you to hear a deeper definition of integrity. The way of integrity offers a ground for living as expansive as it is ageless. This ground poses a clear challenge to today's preoccupation with the self and self-fulfillment. Integrity greatly stretches the more commonly accepted senses of what our lives are about. To live with integrity is to be undivided. It is to stand complete and whole. Integrity embraces far more than just some fixed norm of moral behavior. Integrity cannot be reduced to a set of principles that we strive for and then just check off on a list as accomplished. At its very core, integrity is grounded in a relationship to the living God whose wisdom, justice, and love shall forever exceed our own. The life of integrity holds God at its very center. Yet contrary to the proclamations of many popular forms of spirituality, grounding in the holy neither guarantees instant clarity nor instant success. Integrity does not draw its adherence into deepening preoccupation with self. Integrity points us toward life-stretching fidelity to the only one who can make us complete. Integrity is our own yearning in the midst of nearly impossible situations to ally ourselves with God's yearning, even when we cannot precisely name that yearning. If we seek to live with integrity, the relationship with God becomes the ground from which all else grows, all deeds, all thoughts, even all times of our wondering and waiting. Wow. Does that mean we can pray for the right answer and it just doesn't come? Does that mean 
that we can do all the right things and it still doesn't work out? And if so, where is God in that? And where is integrity in that? What's interesting is that sometimes we become so self-focused that when things are going great, it's all about us. We made it happen. We deserve it. And when things are going bad, we see the world only through our pain. Integrity is about being honest about what's really going on. It's about being humble enough to know we can't control it. And it's about finding a way to look outward and beyond, even when we find ourselves turning and spinning with that which we are facing. Where is our faith when we hit the inevitable crisis that will come at some point in our life if it hasn't already? And what is crisis? Crisis really is that opportunity to make choices at that moment about who we're going to be. The moment of crisis, we can decide whether our faith really is more than smile deep or whether our faith is that which keeps us in the question and in the struggle and continuing on in the walk that we're called to walk. The walk we may not choose. The walk that may choose us. So how do we remain people of integrity, being the same person on the inside as we are on the outside, regardless of what is going on? I'd like to suggest four ways that we can stand fast when everything around us is shaking. Number one, when you find your integrity questioned, when you find yourself at that place of crisis, when you've done all the right things and it's not working out, number one, listen to the inner voice, not the outer voices. When Job was facing his greatest crisis, when he lost his children, and when he found himself losing his health, there were lots of outer voices. There were voices that questioned his self-worth. It was easy for him to begin to think that something was wrong with him. His friends tried to say that the problem was somewhere related to something that he had done or something he didn't do and that God was punishing him. It was easy for him to hear that voice. And his spouse actually said to him, why are you even bothering? Curse God and die. You see that there in verse 9. And when that voice comes to him, he looks inside himself. And he's really real to the moment. And says, you know something? I don't understand what's going on. But all I know is that when I look deep inside, God is there. When good things are going on and when tough things are going on, there is a place that cannot be touched by the good or what we would call the bad. Job listened to the inner voice. He got in touch with the strong place inside. And when he was pulled in all these directions, the center stood firm. So number one, to stand fast when our integrity is shaken is to listen to the inner voice. Number two is to stay in relationship with God, yet keep it honest. Oftentimes you've heard that little cliche, the patience of Job. 
The truth is, Job was not patient. Job yelled at God. Job came to places of anger. If you have time, read the book of Job, and you'll see how he's on this roller coaster. He questions God. He struggles. He is honest to what is going on. Does he curse God? No. Does he get mad at God? You better believe it. So that smile face, there was a moment when Job would have gotten up and painted that thing with a total frown. So this is what my life's like right now. He was honest. He was honest to the question. So what does that mean for us? It means that sometimes we too need to be honest. Right here in church. Walk in, you get your bulletin, you get the nice hug. Someone says, how are you? It's easy to say, fine. And yet Job gives us permission to sometimes answer that question this way. How am I doing? Well, the truth is I'm a little shaky today. The truth is I'm not sure what I'm feeling inside. The truth is I almost didn't come here today because I just didn't want to project this on those around me. But I'm shaky. And I'm not sure how it's going to work out. And I'm facing some things right now that I don't understand. And I've prayed to God, and uh, even though I've felt close to God in the past, I just don't feel close to God today. Where is God? I don't know. Blessing somebody else, I guess. <laughs> but I'm here. I'm here because I need to be with you. I'm here today because I might as well feel bad around other people as feeling bad around myself. I'm here because I'm going to stay in the relationship. I'm here because there may be somebody else who needs my heart and my hand as well. I'm here because I can't face it alone. And whether I feel better or not, I'm going to be where I'm called to be, and I'm going to stick with it and stay with it. And it may or may not get better. And I may be shaking on the outside, even a little bit on the inside but I know I'm where I need to be. So stay in the relationship and keep it honest. So to stand fast when our integrity is shaken is to listen to the inner voice, not the outer voices, to stay in relationship with God, yet keep it honest. And number three, remember that suffering is a given, yet it must not define us. We instead define ourselves from the inside out. We define ourselves by our faith. We define ourselves by who we are at core. We define ourselves by the person who's been tested by time and the reality of life. And even though we may be victimized from the outside in, and even though we may experience suffering from the outside in, even though we may have cancer, we are not cancer. We may have cancer, but it does not have us. Oh, yeah, we maybe were a victim of whatever violence there may be in our culture and in our society, and it may hurt, and there may be results from that, but those results do not determine our outlook or our direction. Yes, we're honest. We admit it hurts, 
But we're not going to make new choices based on victimhood or oppression or fear. Yes, we have plenty of reason to be afraid in the culture in which we live. There is plenty of violence and crime around us. There is oppression against GLBTQIA people. And we can decide, though, whether we will be defined by those circumstances and those voices. Oh, yeah, there's a lot that's going to shake us. There's a lot to frighten us. But who we are, who we are on the inside, that's what ultimately defines us and opens us, which leads us to the fourth point. Number four, don't let suffering take up so much space that we have no life left. Don't let suffering take up so much space that we no longer have room for others. Sometimes the greatest call at the moment we are shaken is not to turn on ourselves in fear and close our fist and tie ourselves up into a ball. Rather, sometimes the call, no matter how much we're shaken, is to extend our hand. Sometimes it's saying, you know, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know how it's going to work out. But I still have something left. And what I have left, I'm going to share. Because we find strength in each other. Integrity, it's keeping ourselves together. It's living from the core, no matter what's going on. And it's saying, yes, there is enough room. It's keeping our own room strong, but making room for others. Job, he faced it all. And he lived a faith that was true and strong. He heard the inner voice. He stayed in relationship with God. He did not let his suffering define him. And ultimately, he opened his life, opened his life to all those around him, making room for others. There is a room inside all of us. It is the place where God dwells. It is that inner place that cannot be strengthened. It's a room that reaches out. It's a room called life. It's a holy room. Imagine for a moment, once so simplified in her living, so spacious in his heart, that this one now has room within for you, in your hurt and in your weakness and in your fear. And not only room for you, but growing room for others in their need, in their weakness and in their fear. And not only room for them, but growing room for a world of need and weakness and fright. And imagine for a moment the expression on her face, the caring look he leaves you, as a memory you know will stay long after this person has gone, but really not left you at all. And imagine for a moment the wondering this stirs over the source and aim of all the love that comes and whether you, in your own heart, might one day become such an overgrowing room.